0: Hey church, it's Jonathan Brocius. Let's pray together today. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. Philippians 2, 1-4 For those of you listening to the audio version, there's some really cute pictures of one of my kids attached to this whole thing, so you may want to go check that out at praytogether.substack.com. But let's jump in. I love going on a hike in a beautiful spot, and I love taking my family with me. Well, this past year, we took it to a whole new level. Sometime back in January, I got this crazy idea that we would take a huge camping and hiking trip through the western United States. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while, and when my oldest turned 13 last year, I realized that my window of opportunity to do these sorts of things was beginning to narrow. Soon she would be swallowed into the life of a high school student in the summer, jobs, cars, friends. If I wanted to do the trip, it needed to be soon. So we planned it. We also began to physically train our kids. Johanna and I were worried about our younger kids. Our older kids are pretty tough and used to long hikes. But Nate, our youngest, was still pretty green. So we started taking walks regularly. We would walk around the track at the high school, and every time we made a lap, we'd climb the stairs in the grandstand to imitate a mountain. Hey, it's the closest thing we can get to out here in the cornfield. Finally, the day came. The van was packed. We buckled in and started rolling down the interstate. We were headed for four national parks in three different states, the Rocky Mountains, Arches, Canyonlands, and the Grand Canyon. The hikes were incredible. We were surrounded by scenery I had difficulty wrapping my mind around. The beauty stunned us out there in the West. In fact, there were times I found myself staring at my feet as I walked because my eyes and my mind were worn out from trying to comprehend it. The training paid off for the kids. Physically, they were ready. They would get tired, but they kept moving. On the third day of the trip, I decided, let's go for it. I had a huge trail map downloaded to my phone, and we started for Fern Lake in the Rocky Mountains. The total mileage was just over 10 miles. It took us 11 hours to complete. The trails were still covered with snow, and the altitude slowed us down. By the end, everyone was exhausted. But Nate did it. However, something changed on that hike. Every time we went hiking after that for the rest of our two-week trip, the kids would start the hike with a question. How long are we going to hike today? I had burned through all their eager enthusiasm with my 10.3 mile hike. Now they just wanted to know how long the suffering was going to last. And I noticed something else. The kids, especially the younger ones, would actually go faster on the second half of the hike. It didn't make any sense. You'd think that they'd walk faster at the beginning when they were fresh, but that's not what happened at all. Nate would drag his feet for the first half of the day, barely covering one mile each hour that we were hiking. But once we reached our destination and had lunch, it was like he found new inspiration. He would begin to sing and tell jokes, and his feet moved much faster. Sometimes he'd even run. The most stark example was our hike in the Grand Canyon. We followed the Bright Angel Trail. Hiking the Bright Angel Trail is deceptive. The Bright Angel Trail leads from the top of the Grand Canyon all the way down to the bottom, 5,000 feet of elevation difference. So when you hike, you're going downhill, which makes the hike easy. You're just cruising along, enjoying all the amazing nature and scenery around you. The problem is, after you've hiked a while, you need to get back to the top, which means that the entire return hike is uphill. It's like climbing an endless stairway for miles and it gets a lot of unsuspecting visitors to the Grand Canyon by surprise. They overestimate their abilities and hike too far into the canyon. On the return trip, they get exhausted and dehydrated, leading to real problems on the way out. There's warning signs and t-shirts in the gift shop everywhere warning about this problem, and they all say down is optional, but up is mandatory. Well, after a lot of discussion, Johanna and I decided that our goal was going to be the Three Mile Rest House. It was a water station that marked three miles down into the canyon. The hike would be a total of six. Three miles into the canyon, three miles back out. We made it to the Three Mile Rest House after a few hours of hiking. We ate our lunch, we refilled our water bottles, and then we turned around and began the long trek back. And wouldn't you know, Nate did it again. He went faster going up the Grand Canyon than he did going down. It took less time to climb out than it did to walk in. And finally, I began to understand it. When we were hiking out at the beginning of the day, every step meant that the hike was going to be longer. He didn't know how far we were going. He was afraid we were setting up for another 10-mile day. We wanted to go see scenery. He wanted to stay back where he could sit and rest. So it was a struggle to keep him motivated and a struggle to keep him moving. But on the second half of the hike, our interests aligned. We both wanted to get back. We both wanted to sit down. We were both interested in finishing the hike and resting. Since we both wanted the same thing, we didn't need to drag each other anymore. We moved a lot faster. Philippians 2 begins with a plea from Paul for us to do the same thing with each other. He starts with a bunch of rhetorical questions. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection or mercy. Basically, Paul is saying, if Jesus means anything at all to you, we're supposed to be interrupting him at this point with a loud, yes, Jesus means everything to me. Please tell me what I'm supposed to do. Paul answers that question with, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. Ouch, this one is hard, isn't it? It sounds easy in theory, but then you start picturing the people in your church. Your job is to align yourself with what they desire and want to accomplish. Your job is to put your needs and wishes on the back burner. You must put your energy toward their good, not your own. In fact, the way Paul writes, we're not even really supposed to be thinking about ourselves. And that's hard. In fact, I'd make the argument that it's impossible to do naturally. If you see someone doing this, it's a result of the Holy Spirit of God working in their lives. And that's why Paul uses it as proof that Jesus is moving and doing something. So ask yourself, is Jesus moving in your life? Are you focused on your own needs and agenda or that of others? Are you serving or are you pushing for yourself? Let's put ourselves on the back burner. When we do, I think we'll find that our churches are climbing uphill at a faster pace than they've ever run before. We'll see God move. We'll see things accomplished that we never dreamed would be possible. Let's pray. Dear Father, I want to confess the sin of selfish ambition. The primary motivator of my actions and my thoughts is myself. I ask forgiveness for this, and I ask that your spirit would dig that out of my life and replace it with love for my brother and sister. I pray that I'd look at the people around me and pursue their interests and needs before my own. Make this a reality for me, God. A couple thoughts for you as we close today. Let's put some real faces on this idea. Who in your church could you serve? How could you help them pursue their interests and needs and desires? And also, what are you chasing in your life simply due to selfish ambition? And how can you replace that with selflessness? Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time.